air, online, on digital, digital, and the ABC Listen app. The Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Coming up today, the challenge for smaller agricultural shows in the state. We've been doing a lot of maintenance and infrastructure work on the ground and that's kept us all together as a group. I think that's one of the challenges that if you have that um, two-year gap that you lose that togetherness, I'll say. And more than just olives on one southern Tasmanian grove. At the moment we've got globe artichoke. They're a French variety in full blossom, so they're, um, we've been harvesting those now for about three to four weeks. Spring onion, um, silver beet, a good crop of broad bean. I'm loving my broad beans at the moment. Good harvest too. We'll visit the Southern Tasmanian Olive Grove to find out more a little bit later in the program. Plus the future for small agricultural shows in Tasmania. The challenges ahead. Also a discussion on that topic coming up a little bit later in the program. G'day Tony with you on this Tuesday where we'll look at the predictions for the upcoming summer bushfire season in the state. And also how is silage faring with the unseasonal weather over the past few months. Plus we will check that weather you too can be part of the program via the text line. 0438922936 is that number. 0438922936. First up, we're almost into December and the summer bushfire outlook for Tasmania has been released today and it's a mixed bag for the state. Most of Tasmania is expected to have a normal bushfire season, but Piper's Brook Farmer and Chair of the Tasmanian Fire Management Council, Ian Saw, says the West Coast is looking at an above-average bushfire season. Most people think that the uh, western part of Tasmania is um, always really wet. In fact, it's uh, had a drier, a drier winter than normal, and so the bushfire risk for western Tasmania is going to be higher. So that's going to be something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on. The problem on the West Coast is there's not a lot of people who live in parts of the West Coast, but it's the dry lightning strikes that will come January and February, which will cause a lot of troubles on the West Coast. And what about the East Coast? Well, the East Coast, of course, at the moment is uh, green, and I think everyone's expecting it to be green until and even perhaps past Christmas, and that's something uh, very unusual to see all of Tasmania green until Christmas and after. Uh, the problem is that that greenness that we're seeing at the moment is all grass and it's growing vigorously at the moment and we've only got to have a couple of weeks of warm, windy weather and that's going to dry off. Um, and then we all know that those grass fires are very, very fast moving. So there'll be large amounts of dry fuel that are going to burn very vigorously if they get a breeze behind them, and that's the problem. And the forecast is for the rest of Tasmania to have a normal bushfire season, but uh, bushfires aren't really normal, are they? No, and they're always very difficult to predict. I mean, it really depends, you know, what happens on a week-by-week basis. If you get a lot of hot weather and windy weather, it dries out even more. Um, and then that means that the fires are fast, much faster moving. And, of course, the later on in the season, they are predicting La Nina to continue into the summer. So it may well be damp, but if it dries out, then by the time that we get through to end of January, um, we could have some big bushfires going there under the right conditions. And so, you know, the message at the moment is that whilst it's still green and it's relatively still, if you've got the opportunity to do some fuel reduction burns on your land, you know, jump in and do it. 
if you're unsure about doing those burns on your own or you need some more information, then my advice is to Google Red Hot Tips or go to the TAS Fire Service website and you'll be able to get help there. Yeah, because it's getting very late in the year. Normally, uh, a lot of these burn-offs would be done October, November maybe, but um, it's just been too wet, hasn't it? Well, it has been too wet, uh, miles too wet, and um, gosh, you'd need flip. You know, if you're trying to do it a month ago, you'd need flippers and a snorkel. So, but it it can change really quickly, Tony. I mean, we only have to have that week, but there is an opportunity to do fuel reduction burns now. Um, you need to register those burns. The permit period's not in, so just register the burns. And I just can't stress enough: if if you need help, you know, ring the fire service, ring Red Hot Tips, and that's the one stop shop, and that can uh, help you get there. The other thing, Tony, which just from left fields might be worth thinking about is the soil dryness index, the SDI. And in simple terms, that just measures how many mils of water to saturate the soil again. Um, And if people Google soil dryness index, they can see how dry their area is on a weekly basis. The uh, TAS fire service put up uh, those maps. And that's a really good tool to get to know how dry it is out there. Do you think this summer season will have the most fuel on the ground that we've seen for a long, long time? Well, certainly dry fuels, Tony, for a long, long time. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. The, the, I mean, the grass growth out there is just amazing. And I mean, I know at home, it's, it, it's, I think every, everywhere's been wet and cold. And so the grass growth has been quite slow. But just all of a sudden, we've had a few warm days. The days are getting longer uh, and the grass is, you know, just exploding. And it's not only exploding in the paddocks, but it's also really growing quite vigorously in the bush as well. So, again, it's those fine fuels that burn very, very fast and they go very quickly with a breeze behind them. And a lot of farmers out there listening to this, Ian, uh, would be uh, volunteer firefighters with their, with their local group. How, how are they going from what you're hearing on the ground with regard to enough people to, uh, to help out? Most brigades have got enough people. There are one or two brigades that are always a little bit short-staffed or the, you know, the brigade members are starting to get older. But, you know, there's really good coordination now that you know every time there's a fire, in the old days you would just call one brigade. Nowadays you know there's at least two brigades called, but if it's a high fire day today, there's more. So getting people on the ground to the fire, it really is not an issue at the moment. But of course, you know those, um, uh, you know those farmers out in the rural areas. I mean, I, I can urge you if you want to do something for the community and you don't want to play footy and things like that, then join the local fire brigade. I mean, it's a really good way of giving back to the community. Plus, you learn a whole range of skills, um, and then you can perhaps help someone uh, keep their house or their farm from fire. How long have you been involved with your local group, Ian? Oh, over 30 years now, Tony. It's been a long time, 30-something years. Um, and, you know, it's, um, it's a, it is a lot of fun. I mean, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you do learn new skills. You're there working with your community and community members that you may not see normally anyway. You know, I mean, Piper's River, Piper's Brook area doesn't have a football team. Um, and you're actually doing good. So, you know, when a fire starts, you're out there helping and you're working with your neighbours and your um, um, people in neighbouring brigades as well. So it is good. It's not overly time-consuming. It's not taxing. So if, you know, you're looking for something a little bit different, then male or female, young or old, go and see your local brigade. At this time of the year, you always start thinking about uh, the bushfire season. How concerned are you this year with all that fuel? Look, do you know, Tony, I'm probably like everyone else. I'm feeling a little bit relaxed. I think I've been lulled into a false sense of security. I'm looking out the window now and it's just it's just green. It is green everywhere. Um, and I've got to, you know, we, I mean, we're wet. Everyone's wet. I mean, I've only 
just ploughed a paddock yesterday. I mean, it should have been done a month and a half ago. So I think if I put my serious hat on, um, you would have to be planning for the risk mitigation at the end of January, if we do get a warm January, um, then it will become quite dangerous. That's the chair of the Tasmanian Fire Management Council, Ian Saw, on the bushfire outlook for this summer in Tasmania. Most of Tasmania expecting an average season, but the West Coast looking at an above average season, while the East Coast is expected to be below average. And Ian mentioned there the Soil Dryness Index map, which is on the Tasmanian Fire Service website if you want to have a look. See how wet the soil is at the moment. Talking about wet soil, we'll have a look at silage and the weather conditions and how tough it's been for farmers in just a moment. What would you be willing to give to play the game you love? For the women of the NRLW, it means juggling jobs and family around training and overcoming discrimination. We work twice as hard for half as much. A new documentary goes behind the scenes with Queensland's State of Origin women's team declaring their hopes for where the game is headed. There's a group of us fighting to get better pay. A League of Her Own, Monday, December 5 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Coast to Coast, this is the Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. With a little bit of sunshine around, farmers and contractors have been able to get onto paddocks to cut some silage. The process of raking, baling and wrapping silage has been slow and staggered because of the wet weather. Farmer and contractor Scott Orton is based in the northeast. He says he's probably a couple of weeks behind. Um, we did a little bit of silage in late October, just a little window, and then we had a nice little spell and we've really sort of cracked into it there. We had that nice 10-day break with some nice high temperatures, so we got a little fair bit done then. And once again, we're having weekends off at the moment because it rains every weekend. So, How much has this wet spring downgraded quality? What, what sort of impact has been there? Quality isn't what we'd hope. We had that, that bit of a heat, heat spell there. 10 days a fortnight ago and a lot of the grasses decided to shoot up the head so we've lost a bit of quality there but then a lot of the bottom's starting to catch up now a lot of the ground's been a bit too wet and cold so we're getting good we've had good growth the last fortnight so there's still some pretty good silage being made but yeah there's a lot of pace which people have yeah decided just to leave for 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 hay but yeah it's just it's just you just flow with it really so are you behind in your harvesting program depends which way you look at it on the calendar, I'd say we're two, two to three weeks behind, but seasonal and with the farms that we're doing now that we normally do, we're on top of things, but things could change drastically. If, if the tap gets turned off and it comes out nice, a nice summer, well, then we're, we're, going, to our, um, yeah, we're going to be fairly busy trying to catch up. And that's what you want. You want it to dry out. You want a bit of wind to try and aerate what you've cut just to you know ensure that you've got that quality when you do bale it that's right yep we, we need that that two to three day window of that nice weather we've got good gear with tethers and, and and nice rakes and that sort of thing so we can we can work on it and get it done but it's, it's all a the more you do to it the more the expense and um with with the way diesel prices and plastic prices are this year yeah, you try to do the most economical job for the best result. Have you had your tractor bogged yet? No, I haven't, but I've come pretty close. Yeah, yeah, I've never never bailed in so much um, yeah, trying conditions sometimes. So, yeah, when, when you see the rake tractor making marks, you know, when you come along with the, 
Catherine Barley, you're going to have, have your wits about you. Second cuts, third cuts, are they likely? Where do you think you'll see those? We'll already have some second cuts off our early silage pace here on the, on our farm. There may be. Second cuts take a fair bit out of your out of your ground and out of your grasses. As long as people put back what they what they take off, they should be right. But look, it all depends on the weather in the next fortnight, really. Like I said, if the, if the tap gets turned off and things dry up and the heat comes out, well, yeah. But if this rain keeps on going and, and we get a bit of warmth, well, there, there should be some good good second growth. Um, everyone's cows up around here are, are nice and fat, so they're not going to take much maintenance to keep the condition on them. So they might they might lock up the paddock again once silage is done for a, another silage or a, a nice clean hay crop. What is your sense of how much silage is around that can be utilised and, and then also put into storage? Uh, is it going to be a season where there won't be a surplus? I don't think there will be a surplus. I've never seen so much silage bought and sold in the last six to eight months as there was. As we know, um, the Northwest took every strand of hay and silage they could get their hands on. Um, and I know a lot of clients up around this way are barns are empty, their reserves are empty. So they're looking to, to keep as much as possible and, and build up those reserves again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to find find good hay and silage at the moment to buy standing. And I, I imagine that's likely to have an impact on price as well. Yeah, price is already yeah, sort of sitting at that sort of $50 mark around here, I think. But once again, with the way fertiliser prices are, we only did calculations the other day. A higher silage bale's got sort of between $40 and $50 worth just of nutrients in it that you have to replace. So, yeah, you wouldn't be selling it less than that. Your business operates in other contracting circles. So what's it been like for other crops that you deal with? Poppies are down this year up this way as, as far as uh, hectares planted. That's a known. Potatoes are very late going in just because of moisture. But there's a good feel around the, around the, the northeast. There's a good feel about it. Um, onions need some, all the onions need a bit of sunlight, as do the poppies. Yeah, so we just, we're after some warmth. There's one of my good clients here at Scottsdale's got the G-bugs in. He senses in the ground. Our soil temperatures on the 16th of October were exactly the same as um, two days ago. So so the soil temperature's down. No crop likes cold feet. No, well, I don't like cold feet, so <laughs> I, I don't reckon any crops would either. No, I don't either. Silage contractor Scott Orton talking to Larissa Smith about the problems around handling silage at the moment. Over in the northwest of the state, it's a similar story. Michael Palmer is at Sisters Creek and also runs stock at Myala. He reckons on the one hand, the weather is putting them behind, but on the other, no irrigation. We milk 1,100 whole season and we also run all our young stock. We run our young stock on a runoff block at Myala and the home farms the closer to Sisters Creek. Generally, we would start harvesting sort of around that mid-October to the end of October, our silage. And we'd continue through to, we'd be well done our silage generally by the end of November and we'll start on to hay then. Our runoff block is generally ready a bit earlier because a lot of the stock come off that back to the dairy. We've done about 1,200 bales of silage there this year and we'd normally do about 1,800. So we've got a little bit, little bit more to get done there. The dairy farm's a little bit different because the season's been quite late taking off. Silage is coming a little bit later and it's been really wet, so we've probably done half what we'd normally do there. We normally do about 1,400 bales in the dairy farm and we're probably not even halfway through that 
Mm. And is that primarily because of the weather? Pretty much because of the, the weather, really. Um, it's affected us in a couple of ways. The, the season's been a little bit late and, and, and slow to get going because it's been so wet. And then when we got the soils there to do, we've sort of struggled to be able to do it. I think we still get the numbers of bales that we'd normally do, but because of the wet, it's you know, still growing well. It hasn't dried out of them. So it's, and I understand it's been a matter of you just waiting for at least one dry day. You can run out there and grab as much as you can. Yeah, we need a bit more than one. We need about three in a row. So, so we cut in the rain and we're hoping that we've lined it up right with the two fine days that we generally get after that. <laughs> now, do you normally, do you use all of this yourself or are you selling this on to people? No, we don't sell any silage. If anything, we buy it in. We use everything we've got generally and a little bit more. How does this contrast to this time last year? Well, this time last year was a, was it, it was still wet late. It, it was wet into the season early as well, so it was, it was quite a wet season as well, but there was bigger windows to get the silage done. Do you see this as it is at the moment? Is this going to bring any challenges with it into the season ahead? I mean, the later the rains go on, generally we'll get to Christmas, I imagine, or December, and the weather will settle a bit more. It's probably not a challenge. We've probably saved a bit by not having to irrigate. You know, generally we would be irrigating for nearly a month by now. We normally start irrigating around that first of November. It's created a few challenges, as in getting cows to peak and that sort of thing, but other than that, it's not too bad compared to last year. More a timing thing than anything else at the moment? Yes, yep. And what are you hearing from other people? I think um, pretty much what you hear is that uh, contractors are flat out because uh, uh, they've only got those small windows, so they're really struggling to get people's home, or silage, I should say, and not even how yet. Silage done. That was farmer Michael Palmer telling McPowell that silage definitely growing, but uh, it's been hard to process with all the rain, of course. Well, the canola crop in New South Wales could be down in volume by about 20%. There's quite a bit of mould in the crop as well. It's a blow for some farmers who are expecting one of the best canola crops on record. It's also prompted the Australian Oil Seeds Federation to increase the tolerance for mould in the seed. Southern Riverine grain merchant Matt Kelly has told Cara Jeffrey about the new canola seed segregations and how the harvest is trending. Harvest is probably at least delayed by about two weeks, you know, just generally due to the the wet weather and, and what's actually come about is that we've seen quite a lot of high mould count uh, in the canola just due to the, the wetter weather that we've actually had uh, and AOF came out this week and introduced a, a seasonal, a new seasonal grade for um, canola and, and GM canola to allow for a higher mould count um, uh, in the canola. And so will that be a good thing for growers? Uh, look it is, um, uh, the, the kind of main grade can one, you're only allowed five out of a thousand seeds, uh, and industry's increased uh, another grade that allows up to 40. Um, at this moment, we're not seeing um, growers discounted at all, but you know, the big thing that probably happened this week is we're probably seeing our canola prices back, you know, 30 to 40 dollars um, this week, and that's just kind of the back on um, following you know, offshore, offshore oil seed markets and bit with a, a stronger Aussie dollar, and, and also. We've seen a lot of growers selling, mainly in Western Australia uh, and South Australia. Their, their harvest you know, is probably near perfect over there and, and Western Australia expects another big one as well. And, and we're not seeing that um, you know, kind of export demand we've seen the last couple of years. Was obviously with 
Canada with a, a large crop and, and also Europe. So as a result, um, you know, even though we're probably going to have some quality issues, it's, it's perceived that it's not really going to affect our exports too much at all. And while a lot of people aren't very far into harvest yet and, um, and delayed, as you mentioned, how are people feeling towards the prices? Look, I think they've been quite probably disappointed, especially with the canola coming back, but we're still seeing really good quality oils. Like, um, you know, even considering um, the kind of weather issues we've had, not seeing any test weight issues with canola and, and oil, you know, it's generally ranging anywhere between 44 to 47 quite consistently. But... I think more the the main um, a disappointment is probably using that that losing that um, you know, potential uh, yield um, you know that a lot of crops and a lot of people are expecting some of the best canola crops ever and then obviously uh, with the weather we've had just losing some just due to flooding so we'd expect probably on the potential we're probably at least back twenty percent of of what people were expecting um, you know a couple of months ago and what impacts are you seeing there for um, any barley that's coming off. Yeah, we're definitely likely to see very small stocks of, of malt barley uh, this harvest, um, especially in southern New South Wales. There is also a bit of concern, potentially some downgrading of, of feed to, to feed too, just based on um, a test weight. But you know, from a domestic feed consumption point of view, there's actually quite a bit of demand, and we're probably seeing barley prices lift, you know, five to ten dollars, you know, just in the last week, and, and malt premiums are probably out to now at least about 120 to $130 over, over feed. That's grain merchant Matt Kelly speaking there to Cara Jeffrey about the mould in parts of the canola crops. Well, it is late November, very late. Grain trucks are humming up and down the highways and header combs turning into the paddocks, cutting through wheat, barley and chickpeas. Harvest is going along the New South Wales-Queensland border and it's all hands on deck. And as the labour shortage bears down on farmers, an unlikely crew of helpers have stepped in to save the day. Alice Marshall with this report. Hello, my name's Avalon Newman and I am from Coss Harbour, the mid-north coast of New South Wales. And now I am in Moree, so, and I'm a farmhand working on a farm. <laughs> Each year, as the grain harvest kicks off along the New South Wales-Queensland border, an unlikely crew of workers step away from their lives to help. So I was just randomly scrolling through Instagram one day. I've been watching some videos on social media. I was like, oh, seeing some video, like harvest videos on TikTok. I was like, that looks awesome. That looks amazing. I want to be there. How do I do that? And it quite, it is quite hard finding someone to help you get out there. And I was just scrolling through Instagram one day. I came up across Seasonal Work Oz. And it was just this young girl had an account and she was just trying to get young people out west and... Um, yeah, I thought it was too good to be true and she said there was no resume needed, no work needed, no experience, nothing. It was just it sounded too good to be true, just hand, a job handed to you straight away. Yeah, it just sounded so convincing to get out here. So I literally packed my bag two days later, came out to Maury, never been here before and um, yeah, stayed ever since. The young girl behind the Instagram page is Heidi Morris, a Maury-based wedding photographer who downs her camera each year to drive a 20-tonne header during harvest. Here she is on said header. I've been doing seasonal work for about a year now, just over a year, and the interest has been overwhelming. Uh, There's a lot of people out there that just aren't sure how to get their foot in the door in the ag industry and um, sort of creating a platform that makes it easier for those to get in touch and sort of get out here has um, made all the difference. In the 12 months since she's been operating Seasonal Work Oz, she cannot believe how many people both farmers and potential future farm workers have reached out to her. 
The demand for workers out here is uh, incredible. Like, you're not only looking for people to jump on these machines, you're looking for people on the ground, you're looking for people in town. It's just become such a big thing. And I think it's, I think the, the message, you know, if there's anyone out there that is willing to sort of come out and have a crack, come out. There's just so many opportunities. If you don't have any experience, it's not a problem. And um, as long as you've got a good attitude, there's a job here for you all the time. And the unlikely workforce that have come to sit on tractors and headers has had local farming communities delighting in their differences. Here's Coffs Harbour-born Avalon Newman again. I surfed my whole life, so all my friends were very shocked when I came all the way out to the country to be, like literally be in the middle of nowhere on a tractor, which is, which is so random. And I honestly wouldn't have thought, I don't think my parents thought I would be doing that either, but it has been the best thing I've ever done. It, you are pretty out west and a lot of cowboys out and about, so it's very different. Like even the style of clothing took me a while to get into it. I was like wearing little tanks and like, yeah, bikinis and had my hair out and all that back home and now you just wear like boy clothes and yeah it's crazy cowgirl boots everything you like you name it. Chris Turner has spent the last 15 years as a qualified carpenter and now each year since 2015 he's left the job site to drive the 1500 kilometres north with his headers to Bungunya in southern Queensland. He caught the bug after only one season and now he operates his own contract harvesting business. Yeah, I was probably, I was a bit green, I'll admit that, um, yeah, there was, especially on the mechanical side of it sort of thing, like it, yeah, like, like operating them was good, but, you know, if something broke it, you know, it took a bit to work out how to fix it and that, but, um, yeah, you're always learning in this industry. The best way to learn is when something's broken and you pull it apart and put it back together and hope it works again. Something that I'd always wanted to do, I'd, I'd never work the hours, like, you know, you you know, you might have been, you know, some days you're doing 10 to 12, some days you're doing 16, 18 hours, and it took a little bit to adjust to that. But, um, yeah, I sort of, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was something different. And, yeah, I've seen, you know, country that I've never seen before and different sort of farming methods. It sort of really opened my eyes up to, you know, not being around our little, you know, little area back home. It's people like Chris who come back year after year, that are worth their weight in gold to farmers. You get all sorts of people in this um, in this game. Um, yeah, like people who've got no experience whatsoever to people that, you know, every year, you know, for 10 years have been coming out driving a chaser bin or, you know, it's a probably, it's a really good industry for networking and meeting people and it opens doors and um, especially with the shortage on labour at the moment, like everyone out here is... Probably nearly every farm's looking for a worker. Um, you know, we've had it where we've had had workers come and work for us, and then they've actually they haven't stayed on the farm, but they've come back to the farm that we've worked on, and you know, done seeding for them and stuff like that, or drove a sprayer, or they've actually picked up full time work on the farm that they you know drove a chaser bin or a header on. As contract harvester Chris Turner ending that report by Alice Marshall.
Coming up on the Country Hour, challenges on the agricultural show circuit and a visit to a southern Tasmanian olive grove where there's more than just olives. Plus, a check on the weather. First up, the news headlines with Ellie Wood. Thanks, Tony. The head of Tasmania's Aboriginal Land Council says he agrees with the National Party's decision not to support an Indigenous voice to Parliament, but for different reasons. Michael Mansell says while the Nationals want less action on Aboriginal rights, he wants stronger measures than the voice. Aviation firefighters will stop work at all Australia airports on Friday the 9th of December due to ongoing industrial action. The four-hour work stoppage will take place between 6 and 10am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. The Greens are pushing for changes to the Federal Government's Integrity Commission bill to ensure the Government cannot alone approve the new body's commissioner. Under the current proposal, the Government would have the power to directly approve both the Commissioner and Inspector General of the new body. And the White House says it's closely watching how Twitter handles a misinformation within the platform. There's been a mass exodus of advertisers from Twitter over concerns about verification and hate speech that the new owner, Elon Musk, blames on activist groups exerting pressure on companies. For Bulletin at One. Time now to check the latest on the weather. Brooke Oakley joins us from the Bureau. Hi, Brooke. Good afternoon, Tony. Uh, Any rainfall of notes? Yes, in the 24 hours to 9am this morning, most of Tasmania did receive some rainfall with the highest totals about the west of the state where generally 20 to 40 millimetres of rain fell. The highest total was 41 millimetres at the usual suspect of Mount Reed. Since 9am today, there's been much less rain and it has been primarily about the west and far south of the state with Strathgordon and Warra both receiving 2 millimetres. And we are expecting showers to continue about western Tasmania today due to the westerly airstream. And then tomorrow we'll have a weakening cold front across the state during the afternoon, which will see those showers briefly extend to southern and central areas before easing in the evening. On Thursday and Friday, a ridge of high pressure will drift over Tasmania. However, on Thursday, there will be a trough lingering about the northeast of the state, which will lead to showers about the northeast, possibly extending to the central north during the evening. There'll still be some light showers about the west and south, but those will clear during the evening. And then on Friday, we start to see a northeasterly airstream developing, and it will be fine apart from light showers about the north. And then on Saturday, fine and mostly sunny. And it will be a warmer weekend with maximum temperatures in the low to mid-20s, with Saturday being the warmest day for the south of the state and Sunday the warmest day for the north of the state. Uh, Summer is here. It is. Summer arrives on Thursday. (laughs) On cue, on cue. Um, What about warnings? Any warnings at this stage? There are for today, there's a strong wind warning current for lower eastern and southern coastal waters from Wineglass Bay to Low Rocky Point and also for east of Flinders Island and the Channel. And then tomorrow the strong wind warning contracts to southern coastal waters from Tasman Island to Low Rocky Point. So if we look a little more closely at the coastal waters, today we have west to southwesterly winds of 15 to 25 knots tending west to northwesterly during the evening and the winds are reaching up to 30 knots about the south and also about the east until mid-afternoon. The swells in the west and south are west to south-westerly around 4 metres and the wave rider buoy at Cape Sorrel is currently reading 4.4 metres. In the north, a westerly 1 to 2 metres offshore and in the east, a south to south-westerly 1 to 2 metres tending south-westerly 3 to 4 metres offshore in the south 
and the wave rider boy at Mariah Island is currently reading 1.6 metres. For tomorrow, west to northwesterly winds of 15 to 25 knots, tending west to southwesterly during the afternoon and decreasing to 10 to 20 knots about the west and the upper east. Winds are reaching up to 30 knots about the south during the morning and afternoon. The swells in the west and south are west to southwesterly around 4 metres. In the north, westerly around 1 metre offshore. And in the east, south to southwesterly 1 to 2 metres, tending southwesterly 3 to 4 metres offshore in the south. Terrific, Brooke. Thank you for that. Thank you. Cheers, Brooke Oakley from the Bureau with the latest information for you as we head into the last couple of days of spring and then into summer on Thursday. Coming up, we'll talk about challenges for small agricultural shows in the state. The ABC Giving Tree for 2022 is up in all its majesty, a sign of hope for families doing it tough during the holiday season. Donate online now at abc.net.au slash givingtree and closer to Christmas, we'll distribute your generosity of spirit to our partner charities. This helps those in need make their own choice on how they share with their loved ones. G'day, it's Joel Reinberger here from Weekends on ABC Radio Hobart. Please donate now, abc.net.au slash givingtree. It's the Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Now you can stay in touch with us, 0438 922 via that text line number. Well, after three years off, the Circular Head Show joined a growing list of Tasmanian ag shows to rejoin the circuit over the weekend. While it remained as popular as ever, rising costs of fuel and ageing volunteers are big challenges for groups like the Circular Head Agricultural Society. Reporter Meg Powell managed to duck a few bagpipers, carcasses and cake stands to have a chat with Secretary Sue Smedley. Well, we're at the very picturesque Stanley Recreation Ground and I don't think there'd be any uh, nicer ground anywhere in Australia with the backdrop of the nut and the rolling green hills behind us. Um, and it's it's just a great uh, venue for an agricultural show. This is the first time the show has been on since 2019, like a lot of agricultural shows this year. What are some of the challenges of bringing back a show like this, not only COVID, but just in general? We've been doing a lot of maintenance and infrastructure work on the ground, and that's kept us all together as a group. I think that's one of the challenges, that if you have that um, two-year gap, that you lose that togetherness, I'll say. Beef and dairy entries are a little bit down this year. Is that a product of COVID, do you think, or is that a um, a symbol of what's happening in the wider region? I think it could be put down to a multiple number of factors, but with that two-year gap, and it's not just been us, it's been other shows, perhaps they've lost that showing and handling of the cattle. That really is a continuous thing, and, and with the show circuit, they haven't had that, and it's I think that's one of the big factors, but also transport costs, because we're sort of at the far northwest, and transport costs probably come into it in a, in a lot of ways too. But we were very pleased with especially our beef entries, because um, it was all an unknown quantity. Now, walking around the exhibition hall, I was quite struck not only by the number of entries, but some of the categories you had, <laughs> including the men's cake section. Could you please tell me about the men's cake section? 
Oh, look, we had a men's cake section um, a few years ago now, and we thought, oh, we were looking for different things this year, just a feature class which ended up being a high tea, um, high tea plate, and then we had a class for something that would represent the Queen's Jubilee or just the Queen as such um, with the passing of her. So then we thought, oh, why don't we introduce another class for the men's cake? And it's been quite well received. And there's, I can tell you, that's a beautiful looking sponge there. <laughs> that's won that category. Oh, geez. I want to ask, what's your secret in getting participation in that section? That's probably one of the key things that makes this show feel like a proper country ag show. Look, it's, it al- has always been traditional. The exhibition hall has always been well supported with entries and I don't know it's just it kind of continues on generation after generation like this year we had grandmother mother and daughter competing all three I have to tell you the grandmother won but it's it kind of gets a traditional thing you know that oh well mum or grandmother or aunt or whatever competed and it's wonderful but I think starting with the schools they then grow up with it and they and they think, oh, yeah, well, I can do that as I get older. You know, they start um, entering in different classes. So I don't know. It's, it's always been a traditional thing and it's lovely that it continues. Of course, the downside to these traditional things is that there's a lot of politics. Some people win for many years in a row and then the next year they're usurped. There's blood on the floor of these, of these exhibition shows. Yes, it wouldn't be a show without um, some, you know, rivalry and, oh, I should have won that and why did you win that? And So that, that adds to it. That adds <laughs> to the, to the um, atmosphere, yeah. What do you see as some of the challenges going into the future of the show? I think the biggest challenge is um, volunteer base. That's your biggest challenge because uh, times have changed. People don't have the uh, amount of time to contribute to uh, events like this, which take a lot of organising. It's not just it's not just a week. It's you you do one show and then you start planning for the next. So it's certainly dedicated a six month event. And people just don't have the time. So it's I can see, yeah, that volunteer base is going to become very difficult. What's your favourite event at the show or exhibition? Oh, gosh, now that's a hard one. Only the hard questions oh, here. Oh, <laughs> gee, no, I don't know. I can't single anything out. I love it all. That's that's the beauty of a show. It It has so many facets. And if you can't find something that tickles your fancy, well, you're pretty hard to please. That's what I reckon. A <laughs> couple, uh, couple of funny girls there. Circular Head Agricultural Society Secretary Sue Smedley reflecting with Meg Powell on some of the challenges many shows around the state are facing. There's a challenge for you. Join your local show society. Um, we've already asked you to join your local bushfire brigade, but there's a couple of things, a couple of ideas if you're looking for something to do. What's growing in your garden at the moment? What are you picking? I'm picking broad beans. And broad beans and broad beans, there's a lot of them. Do you have some early garlic, for example, or is everything a bit late? Fiona Breen went to Lauriston Estate, known for its olives and olive oils, to chat to Marco Lenardi. He's not just producing olives, he's also growing some fabulous produce in the veggie patch. At the moment, we've got globe artichoke, 
they're a French variety in full blossom. So they're, um, we've been harvesting those now for about three to four weeks. And what do we have down here? Uh, a little bit further down here in our uh, mini market garden, is, um, we've got some spring onion, um, silver beet, a good crop of broad bean. And you've got potatoes and you've also got garlic. Yep, so we've got the pink eye potatoes, the famous iconic pink eyes, which um, South Arm is renowned for, and we've got uh, Argentinian red garlic. So that's um, a variety that I got seed some 25 years ago. It's an organic seed, it was, and, and I've used it ever since. And, and uh, it just seems to have adapted so well to this climate here at um, South Arm. Well, it's a beautiful spot here right on the coast, so you get a bit of a sea breeze. It's also very sandy soil. How do those two things mix for first your vegetable garden? The sea air seems to provide, I think, a certain condition here where the broad beans, the silver beet, in fact, all the, the, the vegetables that we grow here um, seem to go very, very well. Um, the sandy soil, very good drainage. The climate here, the microclimate in particular, I think is the interesting thing that makes our vegetables so successful uh, in their quality and also early maturing. What have you got here that you might not have down the road? The particular area that we, we inhabit here is surrounded by water virtually so we've got the ocean um, to the south of us and it's um, breaking surf get sea mist rolling across and we've also got the Derwent River towards the north is uh, Mortimer Bay so we're sort of surrounded by water which which means we salt water salt water yeah um, which essentially means we don't get many frosts yeah and so certain vegetables and fruits and uh, our olive trees go very very well just beside your mini market garden are all your beautiful olive trees. Tell me, how are they going? You've been doing this for a while. Well, these trees were planted uh, about 28 years ago and they're doing extremely well. They produce very high quality olive oil. Um, we consistently uh, win lots of awards, gold medal this year at the Australian International Awards for, for two varieties. They, they just seem to love it here. The grove was irrigated initially we've got wetlands that come into the property but essentially they're so well established now they don't need it um, they've got used to it what is the rainfall here normally on a normal year it's not so normal this year no not this year our average is below 500 millimeters here at south arm and and yet up the road at cremorne i think it's something around 800 and Hobart's even more. So we're 30 minutes from Hobart. So these trees must be pretty tough, these olive trees. They are. They are indeed. Um, I think you'd struggle to kill an olive tree, to be honest. <laughs> Fire come through here, they, they'd shoot back. Tell me about last harvest with the olive trees. We had a, a bumper crop last harvest, um, and I know uh, in comparison to, say, a lot of other uh, local growers in Tasmania... Well, what sort of tonnage do you normally get? I uh, look... Um, it, it, it can fluctuate. Um, usually at the moment it, it's increasing exponentially really. Um, last year we, we, we picked about 15 tonne which 
you know, uh, it is a boutique grove. It, it's 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 small in terms of uh, you know um, some of the major groves on the mainland and stuff. But but that suits us because it's it's really about lifestyle. This is not our core business. This is just something that we love to do. Yeah, still a lot of olives, isn't it? Fifteen ton. Marco Lenardi at Lauriston Estate in South Arm in Southern Tasmania, talking there to Fiona Breen about uh, the produce and the veggie patch. And also, of course, uh, the main attraction, the olives. Coming up on the country, we shall talk about finger lines or citrus caviar. What would you be willing to give to play the game you love? For the women of the NRLW, it means juggling jobs and family around training and overcoming discrimination. We work twice as hard for half as much. A new documentary goes behind the scenes with Queensland State of Origin women's team declaring their hopes for where the game is headed. There's a group of us fighting to get better pay. A League of Her Own, Monday, December 5 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. It's the Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. You a big fan of finger limes? Finger limes or citrus caviar as they're called are becoming increasingly popular. AgriFutures has released a five-year plan to help develop the sector further as it faces competition from countries trying to develop their own industry with the Australian native fruit. Emerging industry senior manager Dr Olivia Reynolds tells Megan Hughes while it's grown exponentially to take it further, an industry body needs to be formed. Australia currently has approximately 20 major finger lime growers and then a number of smaller scale growers produce about 100 tonnes of native finger lime each year. Uh, the farm gate value has grown from about 600,000 per annum in 2012 to over 3 million in 2020. So really exciting growth there. Retail prices range from about $50 to about $120 a kilogram. Where's the demand coming from? So the export market at the moment is larger than the local market as Australian consumers are still familiarising themselves with um, how to use native finger lime in its different forms. They have certainly have a unique taste, they're high in antioxidants and have a range of um, really appealing properties such as high in folate, potassium, vitamin C and vitamin E. And this really highlights the untapped potential for using native finger lime in the nutraceutical um, and even medical industries. A lot of opportunities there that we're still yet to explore. What are the main points in this plan to, to grow the industry further? AgriFutures Australia had identified native finger lime as a potential high growth industry. So we really wanted to invest into an RDNE plan to allow that industry to identify those priorities for industry. So engagement occurred with um, over 30 uh, industry stakeholder groups, including Indigenous groups, producers, processors and research organisations. And they identified five areas for action for the industry. So those areas include varieties, production, products, market and capacity building. So developing new varieties uh, exclusive to Australia will certainly help ensure strong global market competitiveness, uh, minimising waste, supplying high quality fruit and developing new value added products are certainly also priorities for the industry. 
And it's really an opportunity for us to establish provenance for Australian native, native finger limes um, to help build awareness of the product among our domestic consumers and certainly position Australian finger lime ahead of its global competitors. There's limited publicly you know, available information around finger lime production and certainly further investment in this space as well as capacity building in the industry is also something else that they identified. Where to from here? You've got this plan. How exactly is it going to be implemented? Is there a industry body or is AgriFutures um, implementing it, are growers on board? What's happening? Absolutely. So there is an initiative to develop an industry body um, with one of our scholars at AgriFutures funders at the moment, Jade King. So that's really exciting for the industry. And that's absolutely fundamental because these plans, these RDNE plans, really need to be industry-led. Having a body, and often they start out with our emerging industries as these informal bodies that can actually take that by the reins and drive it forward and you know, put it in front of stakeholders, potential investors and so forth is absolutely fundamental. And we're certainly there to support them through that RD&E life cycle. And at the moment, we're actually prioritising our investments for the next financial year. And certainly we'll be looking at um, our native food industries, including uh, native finger lime. One of the things that the plan discussed a lot was making sure we have provenance of finger limes and this native fruit because you're seeing overseas countries starting to look at this and, and are potentially developing their own finger lime industry. Why is it so important that this particular emerging industry this of native foods is prioritised in our country? Yeah, look, I think, unfortunately, native finger limes is a good example where we actually have major global competition from countries, including the US, Guatemala and others, such as Israel, France, Japan, Spain and Italy, are also looking to establish finger lime industries using our native species. So I think this is a real opportunity for Australia to um, benefit from, you know, something that's in our own backyard, a species that is native here. So establishing that when people purchase native finger lime, it's, it's actually grown in Australia um, and really establishing that provenance story behind it as well will be key so that we can compete with those international markets. AgriFutures Emerging Industries Senior Manager Dr Olivia Reynolds speaking there to Megan Hughes about the finger limes or citrus caviar. Um, tomorrow, the cricket's back on. First test begins in Perth, Australia versus the West Indies, and we'll have a 50-50 program for you in the country hour. Uh, we'll begin normally at midday, but we finish on the radio at 12.30, but on the digital platforms, we'll be there till one o'clock. So shorter country hour tomorrow. We'll still have Richard Bailey and the weather before 12.30, but um, we'll continue on the digital platform after 12.30 to 1 o'clock because of the first cricket test, which gets underway at Perth. Yes, it's back on. Well, finally today, a Brahmin cow and a Brumby foal. It may sound like an unlikely match, but an amazing bond has formed between two animals on a far north Queensland cattle station. A photo of the pair has gone viral online. A cow at Pack Saddle Station in Mount Garnet adopted the wild foal after its mother died, much to the amazement of grazier Rob O'Shea. Well, I was just out there and I couldn't lick out nothing. This little foal come walking into the dam with a mob of cattle, you know, a mob of cows and that. And I'd seen it about oh, two weeks before that and 
was out of an old Brumby mare and the old mare died, you know, from old age. And I never took any notice and I just thought, poor little thing, you know, you'll die too. But then I went back about oh, two weeks later and the little foals back there with all the cattle and it was really poor then, you know, when they're little, it's only a month old. Then I seen a cow looking after it, so it was with this cow and I just shook my head because the cow never had a calf. She was a dry cow and she belonged to one of my mates. Then when I went back a week after that, the little foal was sucking the cow. And I've never seen that in my life before. No one ever has. And now she, that little foal, it sleeps with all the calves. It whinnies to the cow and the cow butter and answer it. She barks it and she's made a real mother of it. Another Brumby stallion come into the dam and it was coming over to the little foal and the cow into the stallion and horned him and chased him away and that was it. That's how protective she is of it, you know? And they're still there today and the little foal is really approved out of sight. It's shone up now and it's still sucking the cow. It sleeps with all the little calves at the dam and it just thinks it's a cow now, I suppose. I don't know. Incredible. So what will happen with this foal when it gets old enough to be weaned? Apparently there's a lady out in uh, Richmond that wants the little foal. So we're gonna, she's going to rear it on from there and we'll give it to her. So cow's milk apparently is not ideal for foals. I think it can give them digestion issues. Have you seen it having any problems or do you think it's going fine on the Brahmin milk? No, it's going really good. It's going really good, mate. Someone else said to me, a, a cow's milk's no good for a foal, but it must have had the first month of milk off the old mare before she died. So it must have had enough milk to get it going, and now the cow's milk was taken over, and it's shiny now. It looks really good, so it can't be affecting it in any way. Amazing. Yeah. So, so far on Facebook, more than 1,400 people have reacted to the photo. It's been shared nearly 6,000 times. And you've got a lot of comments as well. Why do you think so many people are so heartwarmed by this story? Well, no one has ever seen it in their life. I've been in Grazia all my life and all the stations around me too, everyone. Whoever I showed it to, they've never seen it in their life and probably never see it again, eh? You know, that cow is worth her weight in gold. Looks like she would take anything on to look after it to rear it. You know what I mean? And I understand you have more reasons than that to be celebrating. You just got married, is that right? Yep. We've been together a long time and she just said, oh, I want to get married before I'm 61, so we just got married. Congratulations. Yeah. Where did you tie the knot? At the Yungabara Gillies Roadhouse. And another cause for celebration, you've had some really good rain as well. Over 100 millimetres in the last couple of days. Was it getting a bit dry or was this rain really needed? Oh, yes, mate. It was drying out, yes. Getting very dry and, yeah, we're putting a lot of lick out for all the cattle, but, you know, they've come ahead now again, eh? so it's all good again now. We'll just wait and see now if it keeps coming or they say in a big wet, so I just hope they're right, eh? How about your neighbours around the place? Is everyone benefiting from the rain as much as you are? Oh, yeah, everyone's getting some. Yes, they're all happy, eh? That's a good thing, eh? Yeah, no... This is good to get this rain, I tell you, because I was getting worried. I didn't think it was going to come, you know. Well, it sounds like it's been such a lovely springtime for you. You're married. You've got a baby foal um, and you've uh, got rain. Everything's coming up beautiful. Yeah, 
Story to put a smile on your face at Mount Garnett, Ray, uh, Grazier Robbo Shea. Speaking there with Tanya Murphy about the uh, the Brahmin cow and the Brumby foal, cow taking care of the foal. Great story. Uh, you can see more stories on our ABC Rural page or Facebook page. We'll catch you after midday tomorrow.